Week four, the last week of the grudge. Letting go of the bitterness, letting go of the anger, letting go of the resentment that fuels so many people. The need to be right. The need for those that hurt us to realize that we are right. The grudge. Nothing will control your emotions. Listen to me, not sadness, not even anger. Nothing will control your emotions and dictate your life and control you and imprison you like the grudge. We talked about the the base of that the first week. We talked the second week on how do we let go of those who have wronged us. And, And we talked about how letting go of those who wronged us has nothing to do with them. It has everything with giving ourselves a gift. It's not justifying what they did. It's not explaining away what they did. It's not... Um, endorsing what they did. It's not forgetting what they did. It's just giving yourself the gift of being the bigger person. It's not even inviting that person back into your life. It's just saying, I'm letting go. You're no longer going to control me. Last week, we talked about how do you forgive God? It's an eye-opening message for so many people. And it was, it was kind of a, an odd message because the reality is God doesn't sin. God's not in need of our forgiveness but so many of us are holding a grudge towards God because God didn't stop X from happening. God didn't stop this from happening. God allowed this to happen. God, if he truly loved me, he wouldn't have put me in this position, and we talked about that. This week, I want to ask you a simple question, and if I was to ask you, and I have asked this question before, who's the number one person? Who's the person you have the hardest time forgiving Hands down, over and over and over, the response is always ourselves. It's a weird thing. There's a lot of people carrying around hurt, frustration, resentment, guilt, and they're not carrying it towards those who've wronged them. They're carrying it towards themselves for the hurt they've caused others. My name is Gary Lamb. I am the king of this. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, and got the scars. There's different people in my life that I have done wrong. (laughs) And it's hard to forgive yourself when you've hurt other people, especially when your actions have hurt those that you love. I'm 46 years old, and the reality is I have ripped people off in life. I have broke trust in life. I have hurt my kids in life. I have lied. I have cheated. I've stolen. I know you find this very, very hard to believe, but I have been a real a-hole to people In my life, shocker, I know. I I try to act like stuff doesn't bother me. But the reality is I can be a guilt-ridden person. I hate to upset people. I, I hate 
to know that my actions, my sinful nature, my selfishness causes other people to feel pain. And and I try to do what everyone else does. I try to push it down, forget about it. But it just seems like no matter how hard we try to forget about the fact that we've hurt others, Satan loves to come along and remind us. And he loves to come along and remind us at the worst times. You're sitting out there and the band's playing that song and you've got your arm raised and you're worshiping Jesus. Pop up. You're out with your wife. You're out with your husband on a date night and everything is so perfect. You're off on vacation with the family and the kids and the image, something triggers it and it pops up. And the guilt is there again. And what I have learned, it is easier for me to forgive other people. And there's nothing easy about that than it is to forgive myself. Forgiving myself is hard. I struggle with it. The people who've wronged me, I can let them go and not live in my head. But I always live in my own head. Can anybody relate? Am I the only one up there today? Am I on an island all by myself? Some of you are like, man, I do people wrong, and I don't feel a bit of remorse about it, and I'm good. Those of us who are normal and don't have that superpower, we live with guilt. I've learned that no one can beat us up like we beat ourselves up. (laughs) Reality is, in a room this size, it's a lot of people who are living life less than God intends you to live it because you're too busy beating yourself up. You refuse to release yourself from the ball and chain that is unforgiveness. You refuse to release yourself from unforgiveness, not because you can't forgive others, but because you can't forgive yourself. I I don't know what it is you need forgiveness for. Maybe you went through a period in your life, a rebellious period, and hurt a lot of people along the way. Maybe you physically hurt somebody. Maybe you said those words that you can never take back. Once they're out there, you can't take them back. The minute you said them, you knew, "Mm, I shouldn't have said that. Maybe you were a horrible parent to your children. You've got your life kind of back on track and you realize how your hurts, habits, and hang-ups were passed down to your children and you beat yourself up about that. Maybe, maybe Maybe at one time in your life you had an affair and you replay it over and over and over in your mind and know that you broke that trust. I don't know what it is today, but I know there's a lot of people out there hurting by their own actions. I have zero, let me make this so clear to this church today, I have zero desire to get political. But my heart broke, I don't care what side of the fence you stand on, my heart broke this week as I read people on Facebook and I read women recounting and talking about times in their life when they went through periods that led to them having to make the decision to have an abortion. They talked about the pain and the hurt and the guilt, and one of them, I was scrolling down, and the lady said something, it started off, it said, 37 years ago, I, and I thought, 37 years? Beating herself up over 
and over and over. Maybe you didn't stop something bad from happening to someone else and you beat yourself up. Your actions have left people hurt. Maybe you've just simply let yourself go. And you can't forgive yourself. I I could go on and on and on and on and on all day long. The reality is you know what it is you've done. You know the things you've done. Because if you're like me, it's not just one thing. That you have a hard time forgiving yourself about. It's already popped up in your mind. The minute I talked about it, those images popped back in your head. And here's something you need to understand today. If you don't hear anything else I hear, I want you to hear this. You'll never live the life God wants you to live until you choose to forgive yourself. God wants greatness for you. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. God has a direction for you. I do not care your age. God has a plan for you. If you're still breathing, God is not done with you. The problem is so many of you are breathing, and that's the only thing you're doing. You're like the walking dead because you can't forgive yourself. You're too busy living in the past to enjoy the present. You can't let it go. If I could go back in time and change this one thing, newsflash for you, let me encourage you, you can't. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm trying to give you the reality. Not only can, oh, don't, don't miss this. Not only can you not go back and change it, in the present you can't make it better. Hurt is hurt. Once the hurt is inflicted, it is there. All you can do is pick yourself up, knock the dust off of yourself, learn from what you did and say, man, I'm going to forgive myself and I'm going to move on. In this life, you will hurt people. I'm 46 years old. There will come a day, probably by the end of today, definitely probably by the end of the week, I'll probably do something that hurts someone. I'll post something that somebody will be butthurt about and take personal, even though it had nothing to do with them. It's called life. You will hurt people in life. You have to learn how to forgive yourself in life to move on. There's a great story in the New Testament about a dude named Peter. Peter was one of the 12 men Jesus chose to do life with. They were his inner circle. Everywhere he went, these men went. Not only was he one of the twelve, he was one of the three that were the inner circle of the inner circle. And not only was he one of the three who was in the inner circle, he was the right-hand man. He was the uno, number uno person to Jesus. He was the one that if you'd have looked at and said, who's going to stand by Jesus through everything and who's going to walk away? If you said none of them are going to walk away, but if, but if the one that I would bet everything on would never walk away from Jesus, may it be Peter. He's all in, sold out to Jesus. Amazing thing about Peter, though, is Peter was human. Amazing how that happens. He was human and he screwed up. 
We'll hang out in about Luke 22 today, and Jesus is taken into custody to give you a little background. He's about to be crucified. They've went to the garden to pray. They've came and taken him captive. He is now on trial. A large crowd has gathered out in the courtyard, thousands upon thousands of people to watch the hearings. It would kind of be like we do, except they didn't have Twitter to get updates. They didn't have Facebook to get updates. It wasn't broadcast live on CNN. They all went to the courtyard to watch it unfold. A large crowd is gathered together, and in the crowd, hiding, is Peter. The rioter die. His guy. The guy who had been with Jesus through it all, seen him perform all the miracles, seen him deal with all the religious. The man who pulled a knife out when they took Jesus into custody and cut the ear off of one of the guards. And Peter's out in the crowd. And he's watching things unfold. And he's hiding because he's fearful of someone associating him with Jesus. He's fearful of being killed as a follower of Christ. And suddenly in the crowd, someone notices him. They call him out. Aren't you Peter? Aren't you with him? And at this moment, Peter has a decision. Look what the Bible says, Luke 22, verse 54. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. Let me tell you something. Anytime you're following at a distance... You're on a pathway to hurt somebody. You don't get to follow Jesus at a distance and make the right choices. Peter Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl who saw him seated there in the firelight, she looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. Verse 57 but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. Strike one, strike two, and about an hour later, another certain, certainly this fellow man was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Strike three. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. So you need to understand the night before at the Last Supper, he told Peter, he said, you'll deny me three times for the rooster crows. Now think about this. Jesus is on trial. He's, I would imagine, on a balcony, uh, at least at a minimum, a stage. In the midst of the crowd, the rooster crows. Peter's denied him three times, and Jesus looks out in the crowd and looks directly at Peter. And then Peter remembered the Lord's words the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you'll disown me three times. The Bible says in verse 62, and he went outside and he wept bitterly. You want to talk about guilt. I mean, imagine this scene with me. Imagine you're Peter. He's the one. He's the one whose name literally means rock. He's the one. And when it came time to stand for Jesus or to deny Jesus, he denies Jesus. Of all the disciples, 
He was the closest. He understood Jesus more than any of the others. He walked with him. He saw the miracle. He heard the teaching. For goodness sake, Peter himself walked on water. Yet when it came down to take a stand, he denied him. When they came to Jesus, to take Jesus away, Peter pulls out a knife, like I said, and he cut off the ear of a soldier defending Jesus. But now Jesus is on trial. There's no one around as a support system. And people come and they say, you're with him. And he denies it. When confronted in the courtyard, the servant girl asks him and he says, no, strike one. Later that evening, someone else, he says, I don't know him, strike two. And then later on, the Bible says hours later, so this is going all night long throughout the night. You know him, and he says, I don't know him. What are you talking about, strike three? And then we've all been there. And he went outside, and he wept bitterly. He went outside the walls of the courtyard where all the people were, and he was guilt-ridden, and he was broken. And he knew that he had let people down. And the reality is there's not a person in this room today who hasn't been where Peter was. Let me give you a newsflash here. Nobody had to tell Peter he'd blown it. He knew it. Don't you love when you screw up and people are like, man, you blew it. Yeah, no joke. Thanks. What? I didn't know that. Thank you for reminding me. Peter had done the one thing he said he'd rather die than do, and he denied knowing Jesus. Can you imagine the guilt? Can you imagine how he's beating himself up? Can you imagine the type of failure he felt like? And the reality is you can't imagine because we've all been there. And most of the time... The person that we hurt is the person we swore we'd never hurt. Hence why it hurts so bad. Peter's broken. It ate away at him so bad that Peter gets to the point where he's ready to walk away from his faith. Look what it says in John 21, 3, Peter said, I'm going out to fish. Now, let me break this down for you, for all my, my country redneck brethren. He didn't mean, I, <laughs> that sucks, I'm going fishing. Man, I denied him, but it ain't nothing that's sitting on the boat casting a line won't fix. Peter was a fisherman before he started following Jesus. What he's saying here is, There's nothing left for me to go back to except what I used to be. I've walked away from my faith. I hurt the one person I swore I'd never hurt. I'm going back to what I used to be. I'm going fishing. I've totally failed the Lord. I feel guilty about it. I can't forgive myself. And he goes off with the weight of the world hanging on his shoulders. Back to his old job. 
back to what he used to be. The Bible says a fool returns to his, uh, as a dog returns to its vomit, so does a fool to his folly. Anybody ever had a dog throw up and then eat its own puke? It's the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. But it's what we do. We screw up. We mess up. And we just take flight. I'm no good at this marriage thing. I'm gone. I suck at this parenting thing. I'm just going to go be single. I mean, I, 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 I'm just going back, trying to do this or this job. Man, I'm just going to go back to where they paid me by the hour. I worked 40 hours, and I, was, I didn't have to worry about it anymore. I don't want the responsibility anymore. Instead of fighting to regain the trust of those we've hurt, we take flight because it's easy to take flight. It's easy not to own up to it, that we know deep, 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 deep down that we hurt those people. He said, I'm going fishing. He couldn't forgive himself, and I think there was a part of him, even though he knew he would, there was a part of him that didn't know if the Lord could forgive him. Because that's how Satan works. Why would God forgive you? Look at the pain you caused. Look at the hurt you caused. Look how selfish you are. You are protecting yourself when you should have been protecting blank. Peter walks away. And I love what happens in text. Peter's walked away. Peter's beating himself up. Peter's back at the old job. He's out on the boat fishing. Jesus, he thinks, is dead. Here comes Jesus rolling up on the water. You can follow Jesus from a distance, but make no mistake about it, he'll always come find you. That's good preaching right there. You think you can outrun Jesus, but he will come find you. He will come find you on the fishing boat. He'll come find you in the muck. He'll come find you in the mire. He'll come find you in your guilt. He'll come find you in your self-pity. He'll come find you in your self-loathing. He'll come find you as your face is buried in an alcohol drink. He'll come find you while you're shooting up trying to forget what you did. He'll find you as you try to move away because wherever you go, there you are. We got a Savior who will not give up on us even when we give up on ourselves. Somebody say amen today. That's good preaching. I don't care if a white boy is doing it. Man, look what happens. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon said, Jesus done rolled up on the boat now, they on the shore. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I, I, I know Peter had tears running down his face. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. Redemption number one. Again, Jesus said, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Peter didn't realize what was going on here. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time. He was asking him a third time because he wanted Peter to know, 
I don't forgive you one time. I don't just forgive you for the second denial. I forgive you for the third denial. And had there been a fourth denial and a fifth denial and a hundred... Now, I hate the phrase second chances. It ought to be 10,000th chance. Good God, you're looking at someone today who needs a whole lot more than a second chance. Third time, Peter was hurt because he said, Lord, you know all the things. You know that I love you. And Jesus reiterated, feed my sheep. This was Jesus' way of allowing Peter to forgive himself. And I'm here to tell you today, I don't know what you did, and I don't want to know what you did, because at the end of the day, I don't care what you did. I've got my own baggage. I don't need your baggage. God wants you to forgive yourself. He doesn't want you putting it on rewind and watching it over and over and over. He wants you to forgive yourself. Some of you have been holding on to unforgiveness towards yourself, listen to me, for decades. You've literally missed out on the the large portion of your life because you're carrying around unforgiveness towards yourself. Jesus comes along and says, Peter, I want you to forgive yourself. So Gary, how do we forgive ourselves? He lays it out right here. The first thing I want you to know is you need to realize this, that everyone screws up. That's important to understand. You are a screw-up. I am a screw-up. Look to the person to the right of you. Boy, they are a screw-up. Look to the person to the left of you. They are a screw-up. Turn around and look at the person behind you. I can guarantee you they are a screw-up. There's not a person in this room who hasn't screwed up. Matter of fact, it is the height of arrogance to think we won't screw up. To think you're without fault will put you on par with Jesus. How arrogant are you? Now, this doesn't give me a license to screw up. But the fact of the matter is there isn't one person in this room today who hasn't, who won't, or who will not screw up. The only person who ever lived a sinless, perfect life, his name was Jesus, and I have news flash for you, you are not him. The Bible says in Romans 3.10, it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Think about the most perfect person in your world. I don't know who it may be. Maybe it was your mother. Maybe it was your father. Maybe it was your grandmother. Maybe it was an aunt. I don't know who it is. Think about that person. Guess what? They screwed up. They hurt people. Their actions cause other people pain. I don't know what they did. I'm not trying to offend you by talking about grandmama, but when I'm telling you, grandmama was not perfect. It's funny, after people pass on, we make them saints. (laughs) And they were so far from it. 
Bible says in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. People say, I don't read the Bible. The Bible's too complicated. Let me tell you what this means. It means all. That word all in the original language, guess what it means? It means all. We don't got to go back to the original language because we have an English translation that scholars have translated, and the word all means everyone. It doesn't mean 99.9%. It means 100%. All have fall, sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know why? Because the glory of God is perfection, and you fall short of that, and I fall short of that, and my wife falls short of that, and my friends fall short of that, and my family members fall short of that, and my co-workers fall short of that, and everybody that you follow on Facebook that you're so fired about, guess what? They fall short of that. The problem is we look at other people's sin, and we think because they sin differently than us, they're wrong and we're right. But we've all messed up. We've all screwed up. When you're holding on to unforgiveness for yourself, what you're saying is, I'm on par with God. You're holding yourself to an expectation that cannot be met, and you are bound for disaster. Turn to the person beside you, and I want you to look at them, and I want you to tell them, man, you are a screw-up. Do it with some passion. Encourage them today. Lift them up today. Speak words of truth to them today and let them know you are a screw-up. You know one of the biggest reasons we screw up? is because we think we're above screwing up. I've seen it over and over. Our spouse will screw up. We're hurt. We beat them up. We hang it over their head, and we forget all the times that we've screwed up. But I didn't screw up the way they did, but you screwed up. Sorry it looks different. Sorry you justified your own actions. <laughs> Every screw-up I've ever had was because I thought I was above screwing up. My biggest screw-up ever I don't know that it was bigger than your screw-ups, but I know that publicly it was a lot bigger than your screw-ups. Your screw-ups didn't get you on the front page of the paper. And I thought I could never screw up. You know why? Check this out. Check this out. Because I'm a pastor. Pastors don't screw up. Oh, we screw up. Christine asked me one time, she said, do you know one pastor in your life who's normal? I'll be on the phone with people. She'll be like, who are you talking to? I'll hang on. Oh, that was... So-and-so, he's a pastor. She goes, God. She goes, do you know one pastor who's not doing this or doing that? I said, no, man, they're, they're horrible. We're horrible. Now, listen, I think a pastor ought to be held to a higher standard. But a pastor's still human. The reason it hurts you so much when a pastor screws up is because you made him Jesus instead of a pastor. It sounds so simple. Put that point back up, Xander, please. Everyone screws up. But this is such a life-changing principle that you have to understand. When you realize everyone screws up, it takes the burden of trying to be perfect off of you. It lets you realize you're not alone in your imperfection. It lets you know that no matter how hard you tried not to screw up, you're still going to screw up. And it releases yourself of unrealistic expectations. 
This book is a book of screw-ups. We were in Savannah this week. We went to St. John the Baptist, I can't remember, Catholic Church or something. That's beautiful. You've never seen anything like this building. Ceilings and stained glass and the statues. Everybody was in awe. And I almost found it sickening. Saint so-and-so and saint this. And I thought, well, that person was a screw-up. That person murdered somebody. And that person lied. And that person was a drunk. Yeah, they died, though, and we, the church was worshiping them. And everyone who came in, they were holding them to a made-up standard of these people. This is a book, excuse my language, but of effed up people. Throughout all these pages, there's only one that was perfect, and his name was Jesus. Moses wrote most of the Old Testament. He killed a dude. Samson, who's in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews, loved women more than his covenant to God. David, who the Bible says was a man after God's own heart, had an affair, then killed the woman's husband to cover up the affair. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, guess what his job was B.C., before Christ? His job was to kill Christians. Peter, who we're talking about today, denied even knowing Jesus. Not one time, not two times, but three times. Here's my I'm trying to tell you. Quit holding on to something you can't control. Accept the fact that you're human. Quit holding yourself to unrealistic expectations. And realize everyone screws up. That's the first step in forgiving yourself. The second step is this is so important. Listen, 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 listen. Remember Jesus prayed the price for your sins. Remember, if you don't sin, there was no point in Christ giving his life. First John, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. We owed a debt we couldn't pay. There was a debt for our sin. And he paid a debt he didn't owe. You can't work your way. You can't outdeed your bad deeds. Psalm 65.3, when we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Acts 13.38, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, through Jesus, not through your priest. Oh, I'm going to go ahead and offend some of you. There's probably not a more unbiblical group than mainstream Catholics. 
because they don't follow this book. And if that offends you, I'm sorry, I didn't write the book. Sorry if your great-grandma was a devout Catholic, devout Catholic, and that was what you were raised in. It's unbiblical because your forgiveness of your sins doesn't come through your priest saying you're forgiven. It comes through Jesus. We were walking through that church and they had the confessionals all of a sudden. Man, they got high tech in the confessional booth now. They had little lights, like a green light and a red light. And it was green, you could go in. I thought about going in. I didn't want the building to fall cave in. Man, I want you to know that through Jesus, it's not through your Hail Marys. It's not through your good deeds. It's not through how often you go to church. It's not through what church you go to. It's not how much you give to the church. It's through Jesus The forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Now, we already established that everyone's a sinner, so we're all sinners. We agree, anybody arguing we're not sinners? We're all sinners, we screw up. There's a wage for our sin. That means there's a payment for our sin. And it's death. If you break that word down, it's not talking about a physical death. It's talking about a spiritual death separated from God. So the payment for our sin, because imperfect things cannot meet a perfect God. The way our sin is death. But the gift. You know the amazing thing about a gift? You can't buy a gift, can't, can't earn a gift. It's not a gift. That makes it a wage. The gift is something I give to you, no strings attached. We actually lie to our children on Christmas. If you're good, you'll get a gift. That's not a gift. That's a wage. If you're good, I'll give you this. A gift just says, man, you don't deserve this. You haven't earned this. You didn't buy this, but I love you so much. Here it is. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. We need to understand and we remember that Jesus paid the price for our sins. We all sin. There's never been anyone who didn't sin. And because we sin, there's a problem. Our sin separates us from God. There's a payment due for our sin. Because of our sin, the payment's due. And that payment was paid for by Jesus. It took somebody perfect to pay the price for our imperfection. Our sin payment required someone perfect to pay it. And Jesus did that. He came and lived 33 perfect years. And he gave us life. And the reality is this. He conquered death. And we have been forgiven. You've been forgiven. I've been forgiven. We are forgiven. Someone who is truly forgiven doesn't want those who hurt them to carry around unforgiveness. So what an insult to God that he forgives us, but we don't forgive ourselves. Jesus paid the price for your sin. It's done. You can't change it. Yet you continue to beat yourself up by it. 
I run into people all the time from my past. Isn't it amazing how much people love to see you suffer? They love it. Isn't it funny how others want you to pay for your sin? You want grace. They want grace, but they want you to suffer. It's funny, I, I run to people literally 13 years later who are mad that I'm happily married, who are mad that I still live in this community. How pathetic do you have to be to wish harm on someone because they messed up? Yet we do it to ourselves all the time. We don't deserve... Some of you sabotage your relationships because you don't think you deserve that relationship. I can't have a healthy relationship. Well, you can't have a healthy relationship because you're not healthy. You blame it on the other person when it's really you. You're beating yourself up. We have to get to the mindset where we refuse to let our past define our future. It is so cliche that I don't even want to say it. But there's a reason the front mirror window takes up the whole car and the rearview mirror is so little. Look forward, not backwards. I can't go back in time and change things. You can't go back in time and change things. But since we're forgiven, we can move onwards. Next thing we're going to do is we're going to return to Jesus. Normally when you sin and when you hurt somebody and you're beating yourself up, it's because at that time you were following from a distance. In America, we love to play church. We love to pull out. It's funny. It's funny. It's sad, actually. It's pathetic, actually. I saw so many people pulling out scriptures this week on Facebook that I know personally had a relationship with God in 10, 15, 20 years, or if ever. But they'll pull out the Bible to fit their agenda. When you're following from a distance, my wife can tell you all the time, when I'm in tune with God, and when I, she'll come to me and say, how's your personal time with God? Why are you asking? I know, I'm just no reason I can tell. As my walk with Christ goes, my demeanor goes. As my walk with Christ goes, the kind of husband I am goes, the kind of father I am goes, the kind of friend that I am goes. When I get away from my time with God, I become all about Gary. And that's never a good thing. We need to return to Jesus. When I'm going through times of unforgiveness, it's usually during the times where I can't forgive myself that I'm not where I should be with Christ. There's a portion of Scripture in the New Testament, Paul said he dies daily. He's talking about the struggles in life, and he dies to them daily. If you've ever been to an AA meeting or an enemy, they talk about you take it day by day. My walk with Christ is a day-by-day thing. There's periods where it's good. And there's periods where, man, I, I get busy, and I neglect the one thing I shouldn't neglect. Because I can find time to watch moonshiners. 
I can find time to read your Facebook posts. I can find time to get on Instagram. I can find time to watch stupid videos on TikTok. But man, I didn't have time today to get in the Word, even for five minutes. It's during those times, I veer off course. I have to return to Jesus. Peter had done this. He said, I'm going fishing. Here's the thing. He'd already been to the tomb at this time. He'd already seen the tomb empty. He knew Jesus said he was going to raise from the grave. But instead of looking for Jesus, he was going to be like that dog and return to his vomit. We're so guilty of the same things. If we're to be honest today, how's our one-on-one time? If, this, if I'm the only Jesus you get throughout the week, you're starving yourself. Being honest with you. I don't care if you're listening to the great... Man, you can be listening to Charles Stanley every Sunday morning from home. And if all you're getting is once a week, you're starving yourself. No offense to anybody there, myself included, but ain't none of us eating food once a week. The Bible says this is meat for our soul. For be honest, how's your time with God? How's your personal? I call it personal worship. How's your, your personal worship time with it? When was the last time you opened up God's Word and read it? And you have no excuses now because we all have smartphones. There ain't a person here that doesn't have a smartphone. The homeless people that live in the woods have smartphones. Amazing. They do. You got an Android, you got an iPhone, you can go right in there and download. It's really hard to find. It's called the Bible app. Shocking name. version. Y-O-U version. For free. And you can have access to probably 50 different English translations of the Bible. Probably 10,000 plus devotions. So you have no excuse. When you're sitting on the pot watching TikTok... Flip open the Bible app real quick. Got to return to Jesus. God's taught me anything in my life. is As my walk with God goes, I go. This was a turning point in Peter's life. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? I, like this is to me where Jesus is just a pimp. They've returned back to their vomit. Jesus rolls up on the shore. How's the fishing going? That'd be like me. I just roll them up. How's that beer doing? Is it doing you good? Forgetting all your problems? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. The disciple whom, I love that. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water to go to the shore. The minute he saw Jesus, he knew he had to get back to Jesus. He couldn't wait for the boat to get back to the shore. His life was a mess of guilt, shame, I get so frustrated with people when they hit rock bottom. Like, oh, look, they found jailhouse Jesus. Sometimes it takes a jailhouse to make you find Jesus. 
Sometimes it takes your spouse threatening to leave to find Jesus. Sometimes it takes your spouse leaving to find Jesus. Sometimes it takes rock bottom before our stubborn selves will look up. Listen, you know how I know you're stubborn? Studies show that a church, meaning the people in the seats, are drawn to the pastor who's like them personality-wise. So here's what I know. That means you are a bunch of stubborn, rebellious, hate-the-rules type people. You are. I'm not, it's funny, but I'm not even trying to be funny. We're stubborn. Like I can't, like when I implode, I implode huge. Because little implosions, I guess they happen before the big implosion, but I don't notice them. God knows he has got to knock me so far down. Well, I don't have any choice but to look up and be like, I got that God smack, thanks. Got to return to Jesus. How do we forgive ourselves? We realize everyone is screwed up. We remember Jesus paid the price. We return back to Jesus, and last and I'm done, you respond to God's call on your life. Let me make this very clear to you today. God has a call on your life. God has an anointing on your life. God has a vision for your life. God has a purpose for your life. If you're still alive, I don't care. If you're 99 years old, if you're 115 like Doug and Tom Hunt, God still has a call on your life. Because if God didn't have a calling, he'd take you home. He said, I go to prepare a place for you, and when it's done, I will come for you. You're still here for a purpose. I think the most depressing thing is the world. Someone, someone told me one time, I said, I, I'm 60 years old. I'm too old to change. Let's just say you only live to 70. You've got an entire decade to live. An entire decade. Chances are you're going to live 20 more years. That's a long time. My oldest daughter's 21, or she's about to be 21. I don't even remember my life before her. Like, literally, I don't remember having life. I don't, I mean, really have a lot of memories before she was born. That's how long someone in their 60s probably has. And you just want to wallow in your self-pity for 20 more years? Because you can't forgive yourself? You're weak, miserable, and no wonder no one wants to be around you. Man, realize God has a purpose for your life and respond to God's call on your life. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jesus, do you love me? He said, yes. You know I love you. Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of Jesus, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, I love you. Take care of my sheep. Third time he said to him, Simon, son of God, do you love me? Peter was hurt, blah, 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 blah. He said, feed my sheep. But God, you know what? Feed my sheep. But Jesus, I did that. Feed my sheep. But I just feed my sheep. I'm going to take that mess and use it for your ministry. But, but Gary, you don't know what I, I don't care. How's that for a loving pastor? I don't care. You have a calling on your life. You have a purpose on your life. And get back to responding to God's call on your life. It's so freaking powerful to me. 
Peter had blown it in the biggest possible way at the time that Jesus needed him the most. And instead of beating him up over what he did, he said, feed my sheep. But you, feed my sheep. Take care of them. Spread the word. Jesus knew that Peter was a key part of his plan to spread the gospel. Man, here's what I want you to know today. God has a calling on your life. I don't know what it is. But I do know this. There's no big callings and small callings. We're the, we're the body of Christ. So all of our callings come together and they make us unstoppable. Every role here is vital. You might not think standing at that door is vital. It's so vital. Because there's somebody walking in, they've never been here before, and they're uncomfortable, and they're waiting for a smiling face. Say, hey, how you doing, man? Where can I take you? You might think all you do is make a cup of coffee here in the morning. There's something powerful about a little styrofoam cup. I've watched it. I've watched 400-pound people walk in this building that feel awkward and won't look up with them. The minute they get that little cup, they can hide behind it. It just gives them that confidence. You think all I do is check in the kids. No, 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 no. You're giving parents peace in the midst of their anxiety of not knowing if it's safe to drop their kids off at this crazy church in the ghetto. And their kids are screaming and they're worried and you're calming their fears. You think I'm babysitting next door. We don't babysit next door. We teach those children on their level. None of those roles are more important than this role. This role's nothing. Anybody can get up here and talk for an hour. It's easy. That's the hard part. That's preparing the hearts to hear this. It might seem like all you're doing is sitting back in that sound booth and getting it ready to go live on Facebook, and it's three clicks of a button, according to Xander. But yet when me and Tanya try to do it, it's 57 buttons, and we can't figure it out. But let it not work one day and you deal with all the direct messages from the hundreds of people who tune in every week and watch the service. My point is, God's got a call on your life. It might be to feed. We showed up on Wednesday night and we only fed five families. Guess who got blessed? Those five families. Those five families. It was only five families. Those five families might have had five kids who might not have had a hot meal the next day. And because you took two hours out of your day, those kids will have food in their belly now. That's called winning to me. We do for one what we wish we could do for thousands. I mean, my tithe, Gary, I only make $400. If I tithe, it's only $40. What's $40 going to do? Well, your $40 coupled with that $40 coupled with that $60 coupled with that $100, guess what that does? It keeps this building open. That allows an AA meeting to meet here Friday. It allows an AA meeting to meet here Saturday. It allows people to use this building throughout the week. It allows Bethesda Community Clinic to set up in the parking lot every Monday. It allows us to have church on Sunday. It allows when a dance studio over here had no place to go that we let them meet in our building for five and a half months rent-free. Why? Because we pour back into our community. It allows English classes, English-speaking classes, which happen here the other night in our building. It allows the ROTC to use our building when they have no one to graduate. So here's the reality. This isn't a building we just use on Sunday. It's a purpose, and because you get on God's purpose, it allows a community to happen here. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Prayer on Tuesday night. Respond to God's call on your life. 
Some of y'all are too busy being guilt-ridden to do what God called you to do, and then we wonder why the church is so ineffective. And I don't mean action church, I mean the church in general. Because it's got a bunch of guilt-ridden people who think they're not good enough to be used. Now, you're good enough to be used, you just fail to realize it. You'd rather sit on your blessed assurance feeling sorry for yourself, wilting your days away. Pathetic. Forgiving yourself's hard. I've had to forgive myself to things I've done for that woman, to that woman. She's had to forgive herself for things I've done to me. I've had to forgive myself for things I've done to you. It's hard. I don't want to hurt anybody, but reality is, I can't live there. Forgive yourself. Let go of the grudge in your own life, and it'll change your life. Let's pray.